Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the On the Brink podcast. I have a very interesting guest today for you. Um, I just wanted to explain before I get going and introduce my guests, actually, um, that I, if there's any weird noises, it's because I'm no longer recording in a closet. I'm back at my apartment in Massachusetts. So there may be some noises from the street. I don't have such an insulated space anymore, but um, it's good to be back. I am still planning on podcasting, but this is the final episode of season one. We have made it 12 episodes now. And after this, I'm going to take a bit of a break before season two, but this episode is going to be an interesting one. Um, I have my dad, AKA Lil Richard, on with me here. So welcome to the podcast, Lil Richard. Well, thank you, Emily. And first of all, let me just clarify that uh, uh, since the passing of the official Little Richard recently, I'm the only Little Richard now. So I will not any longer be confused with the Black Little Richard. There's just one of us. Okay. Well, I think you came after the other Little Richard anyway. So I did, but I can sing just as well as he can. Okay. Well, that's up for you. <laughs> I think you just broke the microphone. Anyway. Um, I'm going to have you introduce yourself. Basically, the, the premise of this episode today, you may all be wondering, why in the world do I have my 50-something-year-old dad on my podcast about being in my 20s? And you might be right to question that, because even I am unsure about this decision that I have made. <laughs> but, <laughs> but basically, I invited my dad on to share some tidbits about his 20s and maybe offer up some advice, not that we should be taking it, but just to hear what he has to say about what the 20s were like for him back in the 1920s. Yeah, 1920s. Well, no, and I appreciate that, Emily, being as also the fact that you left out that if I wasn't on your podcast, I would cut out your financing. So that was the other part of the equation, but you know, we won't talk about Oh, right. Yes. I'm so dependent on you. I've been begging it to be on your podcast since you started your podcast. I'm like, yeah, put that me is in true. your podcast. Yeah. That's true. So, okay. Why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners who may not have ever met you before? All righty. I'm Little Richard. It's L-I-L apostrophe Richard. Uh, I'm Emily's uh, favorite dad, uh, along with her three sisters. Uh, I am the father of four daughters. So I get two reactions from people when I announce that. One is women say, oh my God, that's so lovely. They're going to love you forever. And the other reaction is, dude, what did you do wrong? What in the world are you being punished for? Uh, so it's kind of a medium. It's kind of a half and half. Uh, but that's that's my story. Yeah, Emily's my oldest. So uh, I've spent more time with her than the other daughters. Yeah. Okay, well, that wasn't really an introduction about you. Um, why don't you tell my listeners uh, a little bit about what you do and some more information about you besides having to do with me? Oh, okay. Well, so I am, the proudest thing is that, father of four daughters 
Secondly, for a living, I work in the hotel business, which I started in uh, when I was in my 20s, which will tie into this whole podcast of uh, the fact that my career started around the age Emily is now in my 20s and working in the hotel business and uh, all the lovely stories that go along with that. Okay, very nice. So first of all, my big question that I already know the answer to, but no one else knows. Uh, why did you not finish college? Oh my God. Wait, what? I didn't? Hello? Do we have a bad connection? Uh, <laughs> well, I spent the best five years of my life at Elgin Community College. And uh, I just remember that time as being some of the best years of my life. Uh, before moving on to then Columbia College, Northern Illinois University, and maybe a few other schools in between. Uh, so it wasn't a matter of not finishing college, but I kept changing my mind on what I wanted to do for a living. Uh, so I originally thought I wanted to be a pilot at ECC. And then uh, I said, I think I'm gonna go into design and architecture. And then I went to Columbia College and studied that for a year and a half. Then said, nah, I think I wanna go into business. So I went to NIU and then decided, ah, I think I really wanna go into PR side of things. And then uh, it just happened to be at the end of my schooling when I was on summer break and found a job just by chance working as a bellman in a hotel. So you did not finish college because you got a job instead. Right, because I was on summer break and I was working as a bellman and then uh, my boss at the time, my boss's boss, Georgine Hubacher, uh, called me into her office one day and said, uh, we really like you, Richard. We really think you're great. We want to promote you into management. And I said, well, this was really a summer gig until I go back to school. So I'm not, you know, I'm open to listening to what you have to offer, but I, I won't make a decision today. And she said, uh, well, we're, we're willing to offer you, you know, 16 to start off with. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit and then that was the end of the meeting. And then I went home. I lived at grandpa and grandma's house, my parents' house. And, oh my gosh, my whole world changed upside down because I was then calculating, oh my God, they're going to pay me $16 an hour. I'm going to work 10 hours a day. So anything over eight is time and a half. And I started doing the math, literally had a calculator and a piece of paper and a pen sitting on my parents' couch, which by the way, uh, is the same couch they have today. So uh, as I'm doing the calculations, I'm seeing that, oh my God, I'm gonna be able to buy 
a condo, maybe a house, maybe a new car, maybe this, maybe that. I'm like, oh my God, I hit it big. I just couldn't believe what was happening. So uh, I was talking to my parents about it and said, when else will I be offered this kind of money when I'm just a bellman and they want to promote me? You know, so uh, that's kind of how that story started, you know. But I thought that you misunderstood how much they were going to pay you. Well, thanks for pointing that out, Emily. The next day I went into Georgine's office and I was just in heaven. And uh, we sat there and, you know, again, she said, you know, we really very much want you to be in management. And uh, I said, oh, I, I love this. I appreciate uh, working here and absolutely I'm interested in doing this. And uh, that would be wonderful. And Georgine said, so you don't have a problem making 16000 a year. And uh, I was sitting there and it suddenly dawned on me within a split second that it wasn't $16 an hour times time and a half after eight hours. She was going to pay me 16000 a year. And within a multi-split second, the time it takes an airbag to blow out of a steering wheel, I said, oh, no, that's fine. That would be fine, 16000 mm -hmm. And I nodded and pretended to be super excited and stood up and shook her hand. And within the course of about 20 seconds, I took a 70% pay cut before even taking the job. So, uh, yeah, I, I didn't want her to think that I was that big of an idiot to confuse $16 an hour with 16000 a year, which if you do the math on it, it's a big difference. It's a big difference. So uh, I bit the bullet. I said yes and ended up going into a management position in the housekeeping department, which years later, looking back on it, realized that I was delivering irons to guest rooms, irons and boards, hair dryers, and assigning housekeepers to 16 rooms a day in a full suit and tie. Uh, when, and the course of any given day, I sweated through the suit by 10 a.m. Were you also a housekeeper at that time? No. I never worked as an actual housekeeper. I was always a housekeeping manager, but I did dress as a housekeeper at a team rally for the housekeeping staff, which can also be seen on YouTube on a video. What? Uh, yeah. Where? <clears throat> yeah. You've never seen this. <clears throat> we'll talk later. So anyway, that was that was what got me in the hotel business, which was a business that I had no interest in necessarily pursuing or even knowing about. But that was in 1987. It is 2020, and I have I'm still cleaning up guest rooms and making beds. Hmm. Nice. Mm -hmm. Nothing wrong with that. I'm a success baby. Okay, moving on. Um, would you 
change anything? Would you, do you wish that you had uh, questioned that amount or said no? Or are you happy that things worked out the way they did? I'm happy things worked out the way they did. And I'll tell you why, because working my way up in the hotel business, and this was at the Hyatt Woodfield up in Schaumburg, <clears throat> everybody I know who was in the business dropped off. They all left, they took other jobs, they did whatever they wanted to do, all related to money. It wasn't because they didn't like the hotel business. <clears throat> it had nothing to do with hospitality. It had to do with money. And, and some of the clientele who would even stay in the hotel were the recruiters taking people away. And I got offers as well to go work for other companies. I know one guy I worked with went to work with uh, Reebok Shoes and he's still with them to this day as an executive. So working from the ground level, you know, uh, right from the base of the hotel operations and sticking with it through all these years, the payoff was years later financially uh, in making the kind of money that I had hoped to make, but really having to spend many more years to get to that point, you know. But probably no one these days could do what you did, work their way up. Um, no, you still can in the hotel business because what you can't do is go to college, go to Cornell, get your master's in hospitality, and get a job in the hotel business without starting from the bottom. You may not have to work in housekeeping, but nobody just moves into hotel management without starting really at the bottom first. So you can spend the money, you know, I know a guy that went to Cornell and he started at the Hyatt O'Hare and after a few months he got fired for inappropriate behavior. So this guy went to a, you know, Ivy League college to study hospitality, started working side by side with me and turned out just to be a bad egg and uh, unsuccessful, but he probably would have made the same stupid mistake in whatever career he had selected, you know. Well, that's a whole different story. Yeah, but I always suggest to people that tell me, oh, we love the hotel business, and I speak to classes at COD, because like I said, I love community college. I spent five of the best years there. Uh, I still tell people if you want to get in the hotel business and want to get into hospitality, don't get a hospitality degree. Get anything else because hospitality and the whole business has to be inside you. It's not something you can teach in a classroom. Go get a, you know, a business degree. Go get a music degree. Go get any other degree because if you have what it takes to make it in hospitality, you don't have to have a degree. It has to be within you. you know? It has to be wanting to be a servant um, to others, more or less, you know, the servant uh, mind frame. I worked for the hotel for a time. Yes, I remember it well. Uh, I would always suggest to you to never have a son or daughter work in the hotel where you are the general manager. But, um, a lot of what you brought to the table, I was very well aware of, but you 
have to work with people in general. So you bring out the best in them. And then when you see the worst in them, you address it. So, and I think you learned that. I think you saw some people that you immediately had a problem with, but then you came around saying, well, maybe they deserve a chance. And so that's a part of the job as well. Well, yes and no. But anyway, I was more going for the fact that I have some crazy stories from the hotel and that's going to be probably a separate episode in season two, just some of the wild stories that we have from working at the hotel. And when you're with the public, you see a lot of craziness, but you also working in the hotel business and you don't anymore, so you don't have to oblige to this, but you have to really keep people's secrets. you know, at the Hyatt Woodfield, I dealt with a lot of rock stars because they played at Poplar Creek Music Theater and they would stay at my hotel. So, you know, I ran into a lot of different bands, a lot of different musicians, some good, some bad. And you have to be very careful that the big thing in hospitality is to maintain um, people's confidentiality. Yes. So... I want to hear some of your crazy stories, and I know my listeners want to know uh, about Lil Richard's wild 20s. Oh, yeah, um, getting back to that. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we need to steer back to the real topic at hand here, which is your 20s um, and not your career in the hotel industry, although that did start in your 20s, so that's yeah, important. Yeah. But looking back at some uh, choices that you made and some stories that you have, I have some keywords here that I'm supposed to say, bring up okay. to start, start with, story. Start with the first keyword. <laughs> um, oh, lobotomy? Was that the first one? No. No, I wouldn't know what you're talking about. Um, the forklift. Oh, story. Lord have mercy. So entering my 20s, from a late teenage years, I had a job while I was, and I have to preface this by saying that most of my lifetime was based on three movies. The first one being Ferris Bueller, then Van Wilder, and then Old School, you know. Uh, And then finally the fourth movie would probably be Back to School with Rodney Dangerfield. But that's a story for another time. That'll be a two-part podcast. But anyway, in my younger days, I worked as a janitor at my dad's manufacturing company. So uh, being a manufacturing company, he had half of the office building was where the, the machinery was being built, the manufacturing, and the other half were the offices, which were obviously much nicer. So the salespeople, designers, architects, the the all of those people worked in the office section. Next door to that was the manufacturing warehouse where they had all the construction, forklift, all the equipment to make the machinery. And uh, as I worked as a janitor at my dad's company, I really didn't. Here's what would happen. I would fill my car with all my buddies and we would drive out to Algonquin to my dad's company. I would drop them off in the employee cafeteria with a case of beer, and then I would go basically empty all the garbage cans in the building, wipe down the toilets, spray some Windex in the urinals, and uh, dust if I saw any dust. 
I rarely saw dogs. So anyway, so we would go out there maybe once a week or once every two weeks, and we would then sit in the employee cafeteria, which uh, was just a small room, but it was paneled with a fridge and coffee maker and snack machine, and uh, it was a paneled room with artwork on the wall uh, of uh, race cars, because somebody there was into race cars, and, and he was one of the... Uh, architects that design machines. Anyway, so usually after a few beers, we would go out in the manufacturing portion of the facility and ride around in the forklift. Now, for those of you that have never driven a forklift, it is God's gift to late teen, early 20 boys to just drive around doing about 25 miles an hour uncontrolled on a forklift. But during this event, uh, I did not realize, I was driving it, I did not realize that the forks were about five feet off the ground with a couple of my buddies on top of them, riding them, you know, kids being kids. When I accidentally drove the forklift through the main wall of the facility, landing two forks, which of course is a forklift, directly five feet off the wall into the employee cafeteria, uh, through the paneled wall, through the drywalled wall, through all of that. So after we did that, I stopped suddenly, uh, pulled the forklift backwards, and we all went into the other portion of the building to see what the hell I had just done. So <laughs> make a long story short, and I think I'm too late, there were two holes driven through the wall of the employee cafeteria. And we all stood there looking at these holes saying, oh my God, you know, we can fix the other side because it was just drywall, but paneling you can't really fix. So we decided to take the two pictures of race cars that were on the wall and move them over the points where the forks came through the employee cafeteria and uh, it worked perfectly, absolutely perfectly covering these two holes, except for the fact that now these two pictures that had been more or less centered on the wall were now located in spots that made absolutely no sense for anyone that were to walk in the employee cafeteria and say, let's because this happened over the weekend, on Monday saying, oh, somebody moved the two race car pictures to indiscriminate spots on the wall of the employee cafeteria. But the good news is, being as a manufacturing company with engineers and architects and designers, uh, nobody ever noticed the difference. These people walked into a room they had walked into for many years before, and nobody had a clue that those pictures moved to not only locations that were different than they were before, but ones that made absolutely no sense for that room. And uh, I expected, you know, for a few weeks, maybe even a month, to hear something about this. I never heard anything about it. Nobody ever mentioned it. And to this day, it was probably 20 years later, 25 years later, that I told my parents the story. And, uh, you know, 
they weren't really totally surprised. But when I said I was surprised that nobody ever noticed the pictures didn't make sense where they were on the wall, then they were like, oh, well, whatever. We didn't notice. No one noticed at all at the time? No. No. These are engineers. They don't have the eye or perception of normal people. They just build well, things. Architects probably do. Yeah, but no, they didn't. So maybe these were not the cream of the crop. Maybe they, these were uh, on a lower pay scale. <laughs> but we did we did have a good, good time, though. So that happened in your 20s. And then what other bad decisions did you make in your 20s? Oh, so many. Where do I begin? Oh, my gosh. I was at a bar once with my buddies and bought a motorcycle late at night for no reason because I didn't know how to ride a motorcycle. Um, yeah, and the guy had a Ninja motorcycle, a Ninja 900 that had been modified to be more of a Ninja 1200, which if you don't know motorcycles, <clears throat> it's super, super powerful. But at the time, I didn't know motorcycles, and I just bought it on a whim from a guy. But I made a deal. I said, if I buy this from you tonight, you're going to have to actually ride it to my house and leave it in the driveway because I don't know how to ride a motorcycle. And he did. So I don't know how he ended up getting home. He must have had another buddy take him home or whatever. And uh, a couple weeks later, well, I drove it around the neighborhood a little bit just to get a feel for it because I knew how to shift gears on a motorcycle. My brother had his little mud mud bike that he used to drive around in and uh i rode that but uh i took this motorcycle and i tried to learn it and all this and then i drove it to elgin to get my motorcycle license and how did that go not well yeah no mm -mm. so i noticed the course you had to take the motorcycle test on was really small and really short and didn't quite work for the kind of motorcycle that I had bought. So, you know, I went in, I waited in line, the lady came out, we went out to the parking lot, and I got on the motorcycle, and I started to drive it, or ride it, whatever you do with a motorcycle. And uh, in the first two seconds, I lost control of the motorcycle. It had kind of done a wheelie, I, I apparently hit the wrong button. I don't know, it was a motorcycle. I wasn't sure what to do. But it kind of did a wheelie, went out from underneath me and kept going. The motorcycle kept driving forward. It didn't fall. It, it literally, I'm watching this. The lady doing the, the test was watching it. I'm looking at her, she's looking at me. The motorcycle is just keeps going. And so after about maybe 150 feet, it kind of falls over. And I look at her and I said, can I do that one more time? And she kind of started laughing, but stopped herself and said, yeah, no, we're done. We're done. There won't be another test, but uh, right now. But she pulled me aside a minute later and said, hey, stay out here. 
keep practicing. When you feel comfortable, come back in, retake the test, but you need to wait at least an hour, you know. So that's exactly what I did. I kept taking the test over and over and over, every time failing. Each time I failed that test. So finally, after doing it like 15, 20 times, I said, <laughs> screw it. So I went in and said, I'm ready to retake the test and uh, went back out. It wasn't even the same lady. It was a different guy now. And uh, I think I knocked over one or two cones, but I did not lose control of the motorcycle. It did not keep going for another 150 feet. And I felt good about it. And I passed, which was a huge mistake. And then how long did you have the motorcycle for? Maybe two weeks before it was totaled. And how did you total your motorcycle? It was a tragic, terrible accident at an employee holiday picnic. Yeah. I don't know if I even want to know yeah. about that one. Well, all I can tell you is that I was driving it apparently around 75 miles an hour when the curb came out of nowhere. And yeah, you know, it was unbelievable. Came out of nowhere, knocked me off the bike into a pine tree. Um, so I literally went up about 20 feet into a pine tree. But after being caught in the pine tree, I literally walked away perfectly fine, but I looked like a bloody mess because the pines, the pine needles all like cut into me. And so I had thousands of like little red, it looked terrible, but 10 minutes later it was fine. Wow. But I, I did lose the motorcycle. It was uh, unable to ride anything. Okay. So what lesson did you learn from this motorcycle experiment? Um, get a motorcycle that has more than two wheels. Yeah. I don't know about that advice, yeah. but okay. Yeah, I I decided that motorcycles were not my thing. Mm. Yeah. yeah, not a good idea. Okay, so that was another mistake in your 20s. Um, what's another one? Well, you know, people in their 20s generally think, you know, you're inevitable or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not inevitable. <laughs> no. Uh, like unstoppable or? Oh, that, yeah, sure. We'll go with that. Uh, you think in your 20s that you can't be stopped. You can do anything. And, you know, that was always my thing. You know, like soon after that motorcycle, I bought a, a Porsche 944. And, uh, yeah, that was a terrible mistake. When you're making, you know, 16000 in the hotel business, buying a Porsche 944 is probably not recommended by most people. Uh, I was fortunate because after I bought that car, it had a transmission leak that they couldn't fix. So that went on for months, and they finally gave me my money back in the car. So thank God I bought a lemon, you know. A what? A lemon. Do you know what a lemon is? No. It's an old man's term for a car that is bad. Okay. And your viewers, many of your viewers or listeners will understand what a lemon is. Yeah. Maybe the listeners who are your friends. Oh, my gosh. Well, listeners that are, you know, 
over 30 will know what a lemon is. Well, most of my listeners are in their 20s, but. Well, and I feel, I feel for them because I'm like, I'm in my 20s talking to you right now. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is this uh, bringing back some good memories or bad memories? Uh, Good and bad and and a lot of lack of memories, yeah, from parties I had in my 20s, yeah. Oh, my. I, I love to have parties at my parents' house when they would go to their Michigan house on the weekends. We had nice, big parties. When I had my own house then in my early 20s, uh, I always liked to have parties, too, and I would invite people from work <clears throat> you know, to come to the parties. But uh, I remember on one of uh, the first dates with your mother, it was a party at my house and she was uh, really confused by the whole thing because there were so many people, there was so much music, so much food. And then at 11 o'clock at night, more people came over that I didn't know and that confused her because when you have a really good party, people show up that you don't know. It just gets out that there's a party at this house and people show up and it was really shocking for her when people would show up and be like, dude, how are you? Come on in. Who are they? I don't know. I never met them. And this was in Chicago or something? Uh, Up in Carpentersville. How did that happen there? Well, I mean, I had my first house there, but I was working at the Hyatt Woodfield, you know. So those were a lot of the people that came to the party. I once had a party for my housekeeping staff. <clears throat> they they were confused. I So for fun, in the backyard of my house, I had two giant dump trucks come with sand and they fill the entire backyard with sand. I put tiki lights in, I put a seven foot three uh, tiered fountain of water in the middle. I had a giant Godzilla blow up on the roof and I had speakers throughout the entire area and I had what was called a beach party. That was the theme henceforth bringing in two giant trucks of sand. Well, I decided to invite my staff on a Sunday. We were going to have a potluck beach party from the hotel for the entire housekeeping staff. So there were about 30 people, 25 to 30 people. And they all showed up in their swimsuits. Yeah, beach party. Well, you're right. Yeah, I guess I didn't make that quite clear that I have a beach in my backyard, but there ain't no water except for the fountain. You know, if anyone I guess they it. could run through the fountain. Well, they couldn't run through it because it was you had a giant base and three tiers. But um, yeah, they they were like, "Well, we need to change." I'm like, "Change what into our swimsuits?" And I'm like, "Your swimsuits?" They're like, "Yeah, yeah." And so uh, I'm like, "Oh, I'm sorry, but." There's a whole lot of sand and tables to sit at because I, I knew 30 people were coming over, so I had all these tables and chairs out there. But uh, yeah, I had to let them down softly. There's no pool, nowhere to swim. Yeah. Wow. But that was that was fun, you know. And again, that was in my 20s, so I like to entertain. So I definitely.
thought I was in the right business being in the hotel business. I loved holding, throwing parties and having get-togethers and stuff like that. Basically, yeah. you like being extra. Extra what? <laughs> you like being extra. Oh, I love these terms. See, you young people, you have these terms like you've been canceled or you're extra. What's the other one? Uh, oh, you done being dirty. You know, I'm learning all these terms now from people that are in their 20s. You've done me I'm dirty. Like, that I don't, I would never say that. Oh, I don't even know what it means, but uh, yeah. But in my 20s, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Good times. Yeah. But I didn't, I mean, the, my, the one thing I regret is I wish I concentrated more on my schooling at the time and concentrated more on that and, and did more of that and all that. But uh, I really, because I found my, my niche in the hotel business, I loved having parties and entertaining and, and having people over, you know. But then as I was entering my mid to late 20s, suddenly I realized, oh my gosh, I found myself married and having a baby. Uh, you were married in your mid 20s? Well, late 20s to your mother. Uh, because I remember when I turned 30, you were like one and a half, almost two years old, you know. But my 20s, that good times, you know. And a lot of it correlates back to my hometown of Carpentersville and Dundee, Illinois, because that's where we sometimes still go back on the weekends to visit my mom. And we still go to the places that I used to go to as a kid, you know, the Village Squire and Bandino Barney's and places like that in Dundee that I grew up going there and, and visiting. So it's kind of neat to go years later back to the same spots. But it's not good going back, looking at your old house that you lived in in Carpentersville and seeing that the people don't take care of it. That always bothers me. You know? Well, you don't own it anymore. I know. I should just buy it and fix it up for them. You know? Well, uh, we're going to finish this up by um, some final words of advice for people in their 20s from you. This is the conclusion of season one of my podcast now. And like I was saying, we've we've heard from a variety of people and it's been an interesting roller coaster ride to kind of start this podcast in the pandemic and interview some close friends of mine, some strangers, just a variety of people. And pretty much everyone that I've had on the podcast has had some sort of advice, words of wisdom, or something to take away from their 20s that has been really um, enlightening in a way. So I'm curious what your uh, advice for those of us in our 20s would be and um, or anything else that you may want to add. My advice, looking back, if I could do it all over again, I, uh, I would suggest to people in their 20s to take more chances not be so um, worried about what if and, and that kind of thing. Uh, take more chances. If you're not comfortable doing what you're doing, 
make a change. When you're in your 20s, you have that ability to do that, where you may not in your 30s. You definitely find it harder in your 40s. And then when you're in your 50s, you're eating uh, watermelon and applesauce in a home in a rocking chair, drooling down in front of your shirt going, Okay. Okay, maybe maybe it's not that bad, but I have days where I feel like that. Is that where you're at? While oh. you live in your van down by the river? That's what Oh, you're I'll be in like the passenger seat, uh, in the back seat of my van, just drooling on myself going, I wish I would have done it differently. Okay, maybe not. But getting back to in your 20s, you have the opportunity to take more chances because you're not tied down and you're not already decided on what you have to do the rest of your life and and don't think that even if you have your your degree your college degree and whatever you wanted to do and you're in your 20s or even your master's and you decide you know what maybe i don't want to be a, a a lawyer and go work at a law firm in your 20s you have the chance to go change your mind and go do something else as you get older, it all gets more difficult to make those changes. So my advice to people in their 20s is don't think you're tied down. Don't think you're stuck. Keep your options open and go for what you feel you want to do that makes you happy, not anybody else. You know. And I got lucky because in my 20s, I found the hotel business which I fell in love with. I would never do anything else now, even though I'm drooling in a van down by the river. I would still go out of my van, work in the hotel business, and then return to my van and continue drooling because I enjoy the hotel business so much. You know. Now, I would suggest you please don't tell my boss that I live in a van down by the river and that I drool on myself, but, you know, it is what it is, you know. I can't prevent who listens to my podcast. <laughs> but uh, that's my advice is that don't think you're locked down because, you know, I was way too serious in my 20s, even though I like to have fun and I like to have parties. I like to entertain and all that. I just wish I would have been a little bit more relaxed and not so tense, you know. Okay. Well, words of wisdom from Lil Richard. Uh, and that's L-I-L apostrophe, um, Richard, at gmail.com. No, it actually isn't, but I should come up with that Gmail address. You could create one. So if you're, if you're open to answering questions from some of my listeners, you know. Oh, totally. But I don't have that address yet. I have to get it from the actual little Richard who died recently, you know. <laughs> okay. This is not a singing podcast. Um I know, but I'm just saying there's only one little Richard now, and that's me, man. It's me. I think he spelled it differently anyway, now that I recall. I'm not sure how he spelled it, but he was like little Richard, and you are Lil Richard. Yeah. So I'm kind of like the rap rock Richard rather than just the old rock Richard. Yeah. Whatever you want to be, you know. Yeah. See? Yeah. I'm back to being who I want to be in my twenties. Okay, well, thank you for being my guest today and for closing out the uh, first season of On the Brink. Yeah. Well, I, and thank you for having me. I've been asking to be a guest since your first podcast. You know. Well, I had to save uh, this one for last because 
that best for last. I understand. You just kept the long, word best out of it. It took so yeah. long to plan, but, um, and have the right equipment. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. But, you know. Anyway, uh, hopefully you all will stay tuned for season two. There will be some <laughs> announcements coming in the future. And please comment, like, subscribe. You can find my podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, all the same platforms that you've found them on before. So please, if you have not um, yet, leave me a, a review potentially if you feel inclined and, and stay tuned for next season. I've really appreciated all of you guys listening so far and I'm excited for the next season. And I would add one more thing. Please let Emily know how much you enjoyed this podcast so she can have Little Richard back again. Little Richard, stage two. Okay, bye everyone. Thank you.